happens twice a week. Football America with her in the swing. Big fan, guys. Football Americas with you here on ESPN Plus. Hercules Gomez, Sebi Salazar, Herc. Can you believe that this humble show is already influencing young minds across this great nation, as we just saw there from our good buddy T. Wood on Instagram? T. Wood? I don't know where T. Wood's from. All I know is his daughter is beautiful. He looks like he has an amazing family. And thanks for watching, my man. Absolutely. Very, very good parenting there. All right, we got lots to come in today's Football Americas. John Sutcliffe going to join us. He was with the Mexican national team as they played last night in Nashville. We got a juicy transfer link, Gareth Bale, to an MLS team that already has three designated players, plus some big news on multiple fronts out of the National Women's Soccer League. All that you can catch on Football Americas podcast, which, of course, Herc, we now know is available wherever folks download their podcasts under the ESPN FC feed. But before we get to all that, let's start with the big news at hand today. The U.S. men's national team dropping its 23-man roster for the upcoming Gold Cup. This list trimmed down from 59 players by Greg Berhalter. Just sees 23. Some big names missing, obviously, right? No Pulisic, no McKenney, no Dest, no Reina. The, the big names in Europe going to be with their clubs during the preseason. 19 of the 23 Herc on this list do play in MLS, the four exceptions. Reggie Cannon, Shaq Moore, Matthew Hoppe, and Nicholas Joe Akini. Now, I'm seeing some people online that are saying this is a B team, maybe worse. What are you calling Greg Berhalter's Gold Cup roster? It's about a C team, but let's not act surprised. If you've been watching this program, if you're watching Football Americas for the better part of over a month now, you knew this was going to happen. You knew it was going to be a possibility. When I say C team, it's because there are some B type players. Uh, and I only mean that because they're not playing their trades in the Barcelonas, the Chelsea's, the Dortmunds of the world. They're not starting for their national team that aren't in this uh, Gold Cup. And I'm talking about players like Cameron Carter-Vickers, Matt Miazga, Eric Palmer-Brown, Johnny Cardoso, who's in Brazil, Brian Reynolds, who's at Roma, uh, et cetera, et cetera. They're not here either. Those aren't sure uh, day in and day out starters for the national team. So that would be your B squad. This is more a C team. 19 of these players play in Major League Soccer. That's not a knock on them. That just tells us where they're at today. It's still a very young squad, as you can see. Uh, and listen, this is still a team that, say what you will, has the makeup and the roster to go far in this tournament. Yeah, it's real young. Look at that. Nine players, 23 or under. You see the... There's a, a real lack of caps, a real lack of experience in this team. The one thing I think we have to point out here in terms of why the big boys aren't here, you look at the schedule. This tournament wraps on August 1st. The Premier League, the Bundesliga, those seasons start, Herc, on August 13th. So if you're a player and you were to be with this team, you would be missing significant parts of a very Correct. important preseason. I don't think, though, this gives us less reasons to watch. I think there's a, a real sense of urgency for guys. If we are going to call this a B team or a C team, then spots 18 to 23 when it comes to those World Cup qualifiers. You're looking at names like Roldan, Lejet, Acosta, Cannon, guys who you know are probably going to get called up, but what's their role? Here, they're going to have to dominate. Here, they're going to have to lay claim to one of those final spots on the roster. The other thing that I think is interesting when we start calling this a B team is it does throw a little shade, probably deservedly so, at the Gold Cup itself. I remember tournaments 2013, 2017, Mexico's involved in the Confederations Cup. And when Mexico would send a B team, it really took some of the star power, really took some of the meaning 
out of this tournament. I don't know that the U.S. men's national team is disrespecting the Gold Cup, but by not sending the A team, they're certainly making it less important. That's a topic of conversation in the circles of the Mexican press today. Why is the United States men's national team sending this second-rate team in their eyes? Why aren't they forced to send a first-rate team, an A team, like the Mexico national teams of the past? You mentioned uh, you mentioned what was uh, Copa America and all these different tournaments where they had to send their, their B squad to play. And what was the fallout with Gold Cup? Well, that's not the case here. I will argue, back then, you had something to play for. You had mm. half a ticket to what was the Confed Cup. You don't have that anymore. So, essentially, you put up a, this tournament out of thin air and you say it's to increase uh, you know, relevance in, in the zone for these smaller countries to help these neighboring countries, what is the CONCACAF Nations League. You have that tournament. The A-team plays in that tournament. They actually win it for the U.S. men's national team. And now Greg Berhalter has a choice. What do I do with this congested calendar? What do I do with these players who are still trying to win themselves a position in Europe at their club teams? And he, in my eyes, he made the correct decision. Yeah, look, the Gold Cup has a lot to compete with, right? European Championships, Copa America. Now we throw in the Nations League, and it makes it a tougher and tougher event to get excited about. Still, though, Herc, lots to play for here. Uh, let's talk about the players who may have the most to gain in this 23-man group for Greg Berhalter. Who are you going with? <laughs> Daryl DK. Is there anybody else? Listen, he just turned 21 years of age. Most fans are over any chance of Josie Alter coming back into the fold. I get it. But there hasn't been a nine to stake claim to that position since Josie Altador. Daryl DK got everybody excited for his play in the English Championship for what he did. Every goal he scored, well, that didn't work out. He came back to Orlando, and guess what? He's back to scoring goals. Daryl Dika has the most to gain at any player on this roster. If Daryl Dika can stay claim to that number nine position at Gold Cup, he's got a very good chance with Josh Sargent not playing that well, with other players being in the mix but not really staking their claim, of being the legit number nine for the U.S. men's national team with the A-team. Yeah, the way the striker position is really hurt. Pretty much anybody who's called in as a number nine or even as a half number nine in this situation has a lot to game. You could probably add Matthew Hoppy to that list, who's also looking mm -hmm. for a transfer. So big showcase opportunity for him. Nicholas Joachini fits that as well. For me, another player that fits that category but doesn't have time on his side like everybody else, is Giassi Zardes. Mm. For me, Giassi Zardes has the most to gain from this Gold Cup, and I'll tell you why. He's 29 years old. This team, this program, is desperate, desperate, Herc, for the position that he plays. And the guy that's making the decision on that position is his former club coach. If not now for Giassi Zardes, when, Herc? Yeah. When? You know, you know fans are not going to cut him slack if he nope. gets minutes in World Cup qualifiers and isn't scoring. It has to happen now. So he's got to beat out for me Matthew Hoppy, Joe Aquini, Daryl DK in this tournament. He's got to keep that spot throughout this tournament. And he's got to deliver. Otherwise, for me, I think this is last chance saloon for Zardes with the national team. You think I'm far off there? I don't think you're far off at all. Let's be honest. There are a few players that have the stigma of whether it is Major League Soccer or being part of Greg Berhalter's group in the past that fans can't get past that. And he is one of them. Jesse Sardis is one of them. This isn't a DP in Major League Soccer. He's earned the right for his call-ups. But fans won't forgive the stench that is Major League Soccer to them and it is Greg Berhalter being a system player for Greg Berhalter in the past. So that is something that Giassi Sardis has to play against. And yeah, I think you're right here. 
Zarda is one of the players that got called in. Josie Altidore, who you've already mentioned, one of 36 players, Herc, who were cut from this team ahead of the Gold Cup. Uh, at his age, when we think about all that he brings to the table, and then we see the number nines that Greg Berhalter, at the end of the day, does call in. Do you think this U.S. team is going to miss Josie at this tournament? They may miss Josie Altidore. And I, I know people hate hate thinking of Josie Altidore and the likes of Michael Bradley coming back into the fold. And I'm not, I'm not arguing about that. I, I'm just telling you, They've not had a nine like Josie Altor. This current crop of players, for as much promise as they have, they don't have that value. Listen, I went back and I checked my notes because I recall the 2019 Gold Cup final against the U.S. Men's National, or against Mexico, I'm sorry, with Josie Altidore. Look at this. Minute five, it's Josie Altidore, bodying defender, setting up Christian Pulisic for a 1v1 against Guillermo Chávez. Should have put it away. Minute seven, okay? Another Josie Altidore play. It's Tim Ream clearing the ball. Josie Altidore bringing it down and then cutting up Moreno in the box. Should have put it away. This is minute seven, okay? This is a goal he should have had. So that's two right now. Minute 30, Josie Altidore attracting players and it's Paul Arriola getting an end of the cross. Look at this. They're all attentive with Josie Altidore. No, it's Paul Arriola. He's just a player that creates things, his size, his physical uh, skill set. The way he carries himself with the ball, how dangerous he could be. I went back and checked my notes of this game. Yes, I take notes. It should have been 4-1 U.S. men's national team by the 52nd minute. There was a Jordan Morris header cleared off the line by Guardado. There was a Guardado chance that should have been uh, put in. Josie Alger was a huge part of that. When he comes off minute 64, the U.S. men's national team... Energy levels, they tank. They no longer can retain the ball. He's so good with his back to goal. He's so good at retaining, at interlinking, and bringing players in. A skill set we've not seen from another U.S. men's national team, number nine, with the goal. And say what you want. Well, he missed a goal right there. He's still behind only Landon Donovan and Clint Dempsey in the all-time scoring charts for the U.S. men's national team. And he's 31 years of age. I know what you guys are going to say, and I'm, by, I'm with you. But if these young players aren't stepping up, they're going to miss him. You know, it was a great performance, the one you just highlighted in your second role as Josie Altidore's agent. The yeah. only problem was that was his last game with the yeah. U.S. men's national team, yeah. and it's almost two years ago. He hasn't played for Toronto FC since late May. I think it was the 22nd of May was his last game. So, Herc, like when I start Orlando. to think about Josie, we thought that the Gold Cup might be an opportunity for him to use the international stage to boost his club stock. Clearly, his resume is not going to get him another call-up with the U.S. men's national team. He's going to have to use club, not just find a club, but lock down a starting spot at that club and then keep scoring at that club to even get back into the conversation yeah. for this national team. At 31 years old, with the money he's on at TFC, that seems very, very, if not unlikely, just difficult. I think we have to ask the question now. We've danced around it on this show, but is this officially the end of Josie Altidore? Because this is an MLS-focused roster. This is what you just said was a B or C Correct. team. If Josie Altidore at this point isn't good enough for a B or C team, it's over it's, for him with the national team, not, isn't it? Do you think it's, he's not good enough, or do you think that Greg Berhalter couldn't realistically put him on the team without having an actual club? I think Josie Altidore's resume, if Greg Berhalter wanted to bring him, he could have. I think it's enough to bring him, and Greg Berhalter you could have defended the decision. Game. Clearly, clearly that's not how he feels. So is Josie done with the national team? I don't think Josie's done with the national team. And that's because of the reason we just stated, these number nines who aren't staking claim to this position. Now, if there was a nine who was banging in goals left and right, or two, he's done. But there isn't right now. There hasn't been a nine to stake claim to that. So as long as Josie Alter is 31 years of age and still in this picture, and they're not scoring goals, you're going to keep hearing from him. 
Altidore, one of those, as I mentioned, 36 players cut from this list of 59, the preliminary list. Another one, Herc, Julian Araujo, young, mm. right back for the L.A. Galaxy, 19 years old. Let's listen in as Greg Berhalter explains the decision. You know, in terms of Julian, um, you know, it's a, it's a case of, um, you know, him being a dual national and not fully ready to commit to the team. And he knew that the Gold Cup would lock him in permanently. And, you know, he wasn't ready to make that step. You know, I don't want to speak for him, but I can imagine when he looks at the depth of the right back position, he sees a log jam there. And he doesn't maybe fully see his pathway to being a starter in the next World Cup. What I can tell you is, you know, we really value Julian and we think he's an outstanding player. And we think he can make a run at, at being a starter on this team. And, you know, a lot of it's going to be up to his form and his development, but he's a young player, young, talented player. And we think that, you know, he does have a future with this team. But um, for the Gold Cup, he's not going to be taking, taking part. Interesting comments there, Herc, from Greg Berhalter. What do you make of it? I think it makes sense. Uh, Greg touched upon it, the competition, just really quickly. He's going to compete with Sergio Des, plays at Barcelona. He's going to compete with uh, players like Reggie Cannon, Boa Vista, Brian Reynolds, Roma, DeAndre Yedlin, who plays in Turkey, you know, Justin Che, who's going to be potentially in Europe soon. The pathway to first team minutes with the national team is much more difficult than if you're going to compete with Jorge Sanchez uh, in Mexico or Chaka Rodriguez, who are probably his two biggest threats. I will tell you this. Uh, I made some phone calls. The moment that they've heard that he pulled out, that he's not ready, that he's still contemplating, because he's getting the full, full court press from uh, what is uh, certain people in the LA Galaxy system. And I'm talking about Javier Hernandez, Jonah Dos Santos, Efrain Alvarez, who's already committed. I'm talking about Dennis DeClose, who's probably the best thing that's ever happened to the Federation, Mexican Federation, you know, as far as scouting in the United States as him being with the LA Galaxy. He's got that full court press going on. The Mexican Federation has already started paperwork for a one-time switch for Julian Araujo. They are fully expecting him to commit to do the one-time switch and to be in a Mexican uniform. Tata Martino is all about him. Uh, he's spoken to him many times. It's up to Julian right now. That's all they're waiting for is the green light. But him pulling himself out of what is a gold cup that he would essentially been on is a clear indicator that uh, he's seriously taking into consideration being part of the Mexican national team. Yeah, Herc, and I hear that, right? And I hear Greg Berhalter say he has a future with the U.S. men's national team. At this point, if you're at Aljo or if you're from the U.S. soccer side and you're saying, we gave this guy a chance, we may have had a spot for him here in Gold Cup, but he wasn't ready to commit, that's the end of Araujo with the U.S. men's national team, right? It surely sounds like it. I mean, Greg was very, very clear. And listen, if all things are equal, your love and respect for a country, your ties and all that other thing, all, everything that comes with being a patriot, if all that is equal, well, the sporting side comes into play. And it just seems like simple math, simple numbers. You are going to compete with players who are playing in Europe, and in some cases, younger players, as opposed to older players who play domestically that there are only two of that you could potentially think you can overtake. So among the competitors there at that right back spot that you mentioned earlier in the segment, Brian Reynolds. Now, he is not in the U.S. Gold Cup squad. And again, Greg Berhalter had a very interesting explanation as to why. You know, other guys like Brian Reynolds, you know, he's going to, you know, he has a new coach in, in Jose Mourinho. And we felt if he misses all the preseason with Mourinho, we know the track record of Mourinho liking to play older, older players. This would set him back too far to be able to make an impact with us in the future. 
Herc, right choice by Greg Berhalter? Yeah, absolutely. No lies detected except it's Jose Mourinho. Uh, but he's absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, you can't give this guy the opportunity to be at Roma, want him to have a good preseason. But I'm impressed by Berhalter looking at the Gold Cup and obviously prioritizing it. He says, at least in the quotes, that he wants to win. But clearly here he's putting Brian Reynolds' career ahead of the good Let's in the short honest. term of the national team. Yeah, but let's be honest. Uh, he has the benefit of the doubt of just defeating Mexico in the CONCACAF Nations League. So he's got a little bit of credit. There's no need to win the Gold Cup. All right, it's a B team, but we've asked you to put together the A team of the B team. So your best 11 from the 23 players that Greg Berhalter has chosen for this tournament. Uh, Herc, what have you put together for us? I know you're going, you're going three at the back and two up top. All right, walk us through it. All right, so this is a three-man back line, three center backs. You've got Sands, you've got Walker Zimmerman, you've got Miles Robinson, Matt Turner, who's a great shot stopper. I'm going to give him the go. I'm, I'm going with the youth. Because I know what this tournament is and what it means and what you can win and what potentially get out of it. And, and right now, this is experience. You're looking for players, so let's play these players. So Matt Turner gets the nod. At the back, you got uh, Bayo on the left. Uh, and then you, on the right, you're gonna have uh, Reggie Cannon. These are two guys gonna go up and down. Now, I know Greg Berhalter's not gonna play this way. He's not gonna play three at the back. He's probably gonna play a 4-3-3 with wingers. And you already mentioned that uh, Hoppy's gonna be a winger and uh, other players may be wingers. And your starters are probably gonna be Jossie Sardes and what is Daryl Dike, but I'm gonna go different. I'm gonna go Williamson, Eric Williamson, Christian Roldan, and Gianluca Busio in the middle, those three, that trident. I think there's a lot of good quality players uh, in the midfield, but I like these three. I want to go and see these two. And then up top, Daryl Dike, and give me Matthew Hoppy up top. I want to see what a big man like Dike can do in, against CONCACAF opposition, and I want to see the opportunist and Matthew Hoppy take that opportunity and increase that price tag. Uh, send himself somewhere. Book your ticket to a different club so you're not playing in Bundesliga 2. Williamson, Busio, I love those choices in the middle of the park. I think that could be super exciting. What are the expectations, Herc, for this team? Obviously, we're about to talk about Mexico. We know when you talk U.S. and Mexico at the Gold Cup, the expectation is to be at the final. But does that change at all, given the fact that this is not the A team for Greg Berhalter? No, no. And it doesn't change that I don't believe it's the B team. I believe it's the C team. This tournament is designed by CONCACAF. So Mexico and the U.S. men's national team meet in the final. That said, you're playing at home. You've got a very competitive team. I don't care if it's 19 Major League Soccer players. You should be able to get yourself to semis and compete to be in the final. So my objective for this team is the final. Do I demand that they win it? No. Mexico's got a very good team. We'll talk about them in a second. Uh, but this team should be striving for what is the final. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Let's transition to Mexico and talk about the expectations for Tata Martino's team, which was also announced on Wednesday. And uh, this one, they did not leave the stars 
out, at least not many of the stars. Chucky, Tecatito, Hector Herrera, Edson Alvarez, some of the European big names that are in, as well as Rogelio Funes Mori, which means uh, no Chicharito. He was on the preliminary roster. Herc, I'm guessing that the expectations, the obligations for Mexico much different uh, than the expectations you just placed on the U.S. Absolutely. The expectations is, and it would still be this way if Christian Pulisic, Weston McKinney, if Sergio Dest and company, if the full A team was here, the expectation for Mexico would be to win and to win at all costs because that is the mentality, because that is the culture. A whole country is paralyzed on a Mexican national team game day. This is why we see some paying millions to the Mexican national team to divide their national team and play in two different places in about 48 to 72 hours time because they sell, because that is the expectation of Mexico, regardless if it's in Mexico or in the United States, they have to win. Yeah, and let's not ignore what just happened in the Nations League, right? If Mexico wins the Nations League, I think this obligation, all that yeah. talk is totally different. The failure in the Nations League, and let's call it what it is and what it was labeled in Mexico, the failure to win the Nations League is hanging heavy right now over Tata Martino. And even if it's a B team for the U.S., even if it's not a full A team for Mexico, I think the pressure very much yep. there on Tata Martino. All right, to get some real perspective from somebody who's been with the Mexican national team uh, throughout the last month, was with them last night in Nashville as they took on Panama. We welcome into the show none other than John Sutcliffe. All right, John, let's start with the topic we were just talking about. Están obligados a ganar. Is Mexico obligated, in your opinion, to win the Gold Cup? <laughs> no question. And, and you're right. That, that loss in Denver meant extra pressure. Look, Tata Martino hasn't won a, a game this summer because last night's game was the Olympic team from Jimmy Lozano. So there's no question that if Tata Martino wants to have it easy, go into World Cup qualifying, they have to win the Gold Cup. And they want to play the United States. But I remember covering that game in Denver, and I talked to Tata Martino, and he knew that was the game of game, agarron de agarrones. The big game was against the U.S. in Denver, Colorado. Now that they didn't get the win, at least they have to try and get a runner-up win on August 1st. And to put in perspective, the money that's involved in the final of the Gold Cup, tickets went on sale and were sold out in 90 minutes. I found out last night that the cheapest suite on a corner for the final is $25,000. Hercules Gomez just bought two of them for $40,000 oh, in, Vegas, in the middle of the field. So <laughs> it's Vegas. Hey, Eric, you know, you know who's going to box there in September 18 in that stadium? Who, Canelo? Canelo. Yeah. Canelo's going to... He's going to be a just win, baby. I had to put that in for you, Vegas. Thank you. Boy. I appreciate it. He's right, though, Seb. When we look at the two national team managers and who's under pressure, it's Tata Martino. And you could say it's the final, the, the uh, CONCACAF Nations League final loss. You could say it's Rogelio Funes Mori, Chicharito. You could say it's his player selection. You could say it's what they've not done as, as far as not getting the results that potentially they should have gotten, the way that they've yeah. underwhelmed a certain player. Raul Jimenez not being available, but... Certainly, it's Tata Martino who's under the most pressure. John, what about Chicharito? Um, we've talked a lot about Chicharito here on the show. You've reported that uh, if he did get a call-up, he wouldn't accept it. Now we know that yeah. he didn't get the call-up uh, for this Gold Cup. Yeah. Why wouldn't he accept the call-up if he did get it? Because when you hear him talk, he seems like a guy who has not put the national team in his rearview mirror. Like, he still wants it. Nah, yeah. I think there has to be a little ego in all of this. He doesn't want to be the last one in the pecking order. Look, I'll be very honest with what I know. 
Tata Martino talked to him in September of 2019 when there were some issues about discipline that happened in Jersey and San Antonio. And he said, Javier, we respected you. You were going to be a dad. You didn't come for this Gold Cup. Then you come and created this mess. Tata wanted Javier to do a public apology. He was never going to do it, obviously, for personal reasons. So since that day, it's been a series of events. It's very sad. I've covered the national team for a long time. And the fact that Chicharito is the all-time leading scorer, and you really, I really know he's not wanted on the team from mm. some of the players. And Tata Martino doesn't want it. So it, it's really sad because you're talking about, a, well, he considers himself a legend, but the, he's out. They don't want him. And the fact that Raul Jimenez got hurt, that's why... Funes Mori came into the picture. But yes, I, I, I was told earlier in the week here in L.A. that if Chicharito was going to be called last minute for this summer's Gold Cup, he would have said no. Obviously, they probably make a phone call before they do anything publicly, and then he denies it. But when, when Chicharito it says it, that I don't need to call anybody, I don't need to say anything, it has to do what I found out this week that Tata said, we need a public apology. He never gave it. And Tata is in charge. You know, don't confuse activity with accomplishment. He better win this Gold Cup because he can do whatever he wants. The owner of the Mexican team right now is Tata, except when they're talking about money, like what happened in Nashville last night. Hey, Tata, uh, we need you to fly. You got to give some credibility to the Olympic game. We got a contract with some. We're making a lot of money, and we don't want him to be mad. So, hey, bring Hector Moreno. Just sit in the bench. Don't worry. Jimmy's going to work. And that was very embarrassing, to be honest. Okay. The fact that they flew Tata Martino to just sit there on the bench and watch somebody else be the manager of the team. Yeah, yeah I agree. To fulfill a, a contract with some. It, it was in the contract. But, but let's just, let me just for a second try to, try to gather my thoughts here on, on what's going on because – I, I can't imagine that Tata Martino would, would say, behind closed doors, I need a public apology, and then not get it and just let this keep festering on and let all these rumors happen and, and make yourself look bad. Instead of just saying to the press, he needs to apologize to me, to his teammates for what happened. He's never said that. He's never been transparent. And then two, Javier Hernandez in his mind thinking to himself, there's a possibility that Raul Jimenez comes back and he's healthy, and he's full throttle, and he's scoring goals again come next Premier League season. That's out of my control. There's a possibility that Henry Martin goes to the Olympics and he crushes it the same way that Oribe Peralta did and wins gold and he's scoring goals. There's a possibility that Polido or Rogelio Fules Mori in this Gold Cup crush it and they're scoring goals and it's out of sight, out of mind, and I'm way down the pecking order. Right now, Javier Hernandez is scoring goals. He's never once said he wanted to retire or he doesn't want to be with the national team. So it, it, to me, as you can imagine, John, I have a yeah. hard time believing Javier Hernandez would let it go yeah. this far. You know, he's very healthy. He's never had really ankle or, or knee injuries. I think Chicharito can play two, three years at a high level. But the reality is he's not considered by Gerardo Tata Martino. The moment Raul Jimenez got hurt, that's when... Funes Mori came into the equation. I'll give you an example. This week, there was a Chicharito answer, but not a Chicharito question to Martino, when he said, hey, Alan Pulido, yes, he, he has an ankle problem, but he'll be ready 100%. We consider him for the Gold Cup. So that's the way he's answering the Chicharito questions, like saying, my nines are Funes Mori, Alan Pulido, 
and he doesn't want Chicharito. Obviously, you never know what could happen. Is Raul Jimenez coming back? Is Funemori going to be okay if he's going to be injured? He has to give himself that option thinking of the World Cup, but not this year. That's why I say it's very sad that the all-time leading scorer of the Mexican national team is not welcome in, the, in his own country's uh, national team. And it's not just what happened in discipline in September of 2019. It's been a, a process of things. You know, he, 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 they got mad at him in, 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 in image, in, 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 in premiums that would play the player. So there was a lot of things that went on. It's very sad, to be honest. John, you were in uh, Nashville last night, as we mentioned, for Mexico against Panama, basically Mexico's um, U23s. That team obviously still played in front of a huge group of Mexican fans. We saw Memo Choa pregame giving the announcement about the homophobic slur that we've heard time and time again. Obviously, this is something that the Federation, John, in the last really month has started to take very, very seriously with what they're saying outwardly, what they're doing. Um, I wonder what you make, what the Federation is saying about their latest efforts. And actually, yeah. in Nashville last night, did you hear uh, any of the homophobic chant? No. no, you know what? I'm, I'm very happy how the Mexican Federation, the president, John de Luisa, has worked on it. And not, it was just not last night. It was a couple of weeks ago. I was in Atlanta when Mexico played Honduras. There weren't any chance. I think they're communicating. They're, they talk about respect. I would say the word is respect. Obviously, Saturday here in L.A., it's a different animal. It's, it's going to be a full stadium. L.A. fans are a little bit like the Mexico City Azteca fans. We'll see what happens. There's no question that Mexico is worried because FIFA has sent the message. You know, sooner or later, something's going to happen, and it better be sooner than later because it might hurt more later than sooner. You know what is disappointing? I, I'm glad that FMF and that players like uh, Memo Ochoa have taken into their own hands and sent out these messages, but call it for what it is. It's a homophobic chant. It's discriminatory. Don't yeah. say it's about respect. Listen, respect is when I'm a younger kid and yes. I'm calling sir and ma'am to my elders. Respect is taking off my shoes when I walk into my mother's house. Respect is not wearing a hat when I'm at the dinner table. This is homophobia. This is discriminatory I, action. I, Call I, it for I, what I, it is. And I, I wish they would do that. But, but at least you might consider Hercules their baby steps, but, but at least they're taking steps. At least they're trying. I know that on Saturday at the stadium, there's going to be new messages. I can tell you that Guillermo Ochoa, Andres Guardado, and Chucky Lozano uh, recorded a great message for one of the sponsors, and you're going to be surprised what the words come out. So I think those baby steps are advancing, and, and I agree with you. You got to call it how it is, and you have to address it. And I think they're finally addressed it because remember also something that's very important. The Mexican team needs a lot of money, and Mexico wants to be part of that World Cup in 2026. Absolutely. And those first couple home World Cup qualifiers without fans as a result of all of this. All right, John Sutcliffe, we've got to let you go. Thanks so much for the time. You're going to be with Mexico the rest of the summer. I'm sure we'll have you back soon here on Football Americas. Anytime, guys. There he goes, John Sutcliffe, great friend of the program. All right, let's get to the highlights from last night's game. John was, of course, uh, here in Nashville. Mexico winning 3-0 cruising easily over Panama. Uh, Diego Lainez, Cesar Montes, Henry Martin, your goal scores. Herc, uh, obviously, as we mentioned before, this was like U23 plus a little bit with Tata Martino looking over uh, Jimmy Lozano's shoulder. The big takeaway, though, for me, Diego Lainez, of course, wearing 
that number 10. We've seen bright performances from him, both with club, but really with the national team over the last month or so. Is he finally ready to go from prospect to player? Is he ready for that number 10 shirt for Mexico? Oh, I mean, who else has been ready for it in the past? You know, in the recent years, Rodolfo Pizarro's worn it. I mean, you have to go back to, to who else to really think about a true number 10. Think about the number 10s for Mexico. And, and, and it's right now Diego Lainez who has had three very good games with the Mexican national team where he's been probably their brightest star. But at the club level, and let me read this, uh, days since Linus has last scored, and you can find that at, at Linus Goal on Twitter, 983. You're a troll. No, I'm You're not. You're a troll. No, I'm giving you stats. And Diego Linus is a very good player. He's a very good 1v1 player. He can be vertical with for you, and he can be very dangerous. But you're handing him the 10 shirt already. It seems so easy today for a player to get that type of action or that type of shirt in Mexico because there aren't players by default, because the pipeline is stalled, because what you're seeing right now out of a 27-year-old Rodolfo Pizarro who's not even being called up because he went to Inter Miami and it's been a train wreck, because he can't get himself to Europe, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's almost by default. He's had a very good last three games. But what were the last two years like? Let's not forget about that. So it's a big responsibility when you wear the 10 for your country, especially the 10 for Mexico. Some very good players have worn that jersey. Yep. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I, I would love to say that he's ready, Herc, but I think the, the, the valuable thing that you point out is the club record, right? He hasn't really broken through at Real Betis. We've said it before on this show. The next season for him is going to be huge. He yeah. just turned 21. Yeah. It's one thing when you're 17 or 18. At that point, you're still a prospect. At some point, you go past prospect, and if you're not delivering, you become bust. Yeah. He's not there yet with Mexico. He's not there yet with Betis. But before he really, truly grabs the 10 shirt for Mexico, I think we got to see it at least a little bit more with Betis. I'm not saying he's going to be a playmaker of the year in La Liga with Betis, but he's got to be a lockdown starter there before he can be Mexico's number 10. He's got Pellegrini's confidence. He didn't have it with the first two coaches. That's the truth. Yeah. It was Ezequiel. Ezequiel, he didn't have it at all. He's finally got that confidence. He's finally playing. Uh, he had a good string, run of games, I should say, and, and then COVID hit. And then it, it took him a while to get back. And then he wasn't the same player when he got back because the opportunity wasn't there. The team was already flying without him. So he needs to now take the bull by the horns and be that player, a productive player. Because when you play in that position, I don't want to hear he's not a goal scorer. He's not a nine. That's not his position. It's goals and assists. It's productivity. It's when I have the ball, what can I create? So if I'm not putting the ball in the back of the net, somebody else on my team is. That's who Diego Linus needs to realize he can be if he wants to wear that number 10 shirt. Because I think the number 10 shirt for Mexico, and I think Guatemala Blanco, I think mm. big players, big time players for the national team. I guess the one concern with him going to the Olympics is, again, if we're going to say that this is a huge year for him at Real Betis, yeah. he could probably use a full preseason, right? Mm -hmm. So being off at the Olympics, as big of a showcase as that is, he's not really looking for a move right now. I would love for him to be solidifying that starting spot. All right, elsewhere in CONCACAF news, and actually elsewhere, her can dual national news. Ayo Aquinola, who debuted for the U.S. back in December, we forget, against El Salvador, he actually scored in the game, has switched his affiliation from the U.S., to Canada, FIFA clearing the switch. He was born in the United States, but has really lived most of his life in Canada. He could debut for them as early as the Gold Cup. Herc, how big of a loss is this for the U.S. men's national team talent pool? Hey, I had him in my top five. I had Ayo Akinola in my top five nines. So yeah, it's a loss because the pipeline, as far as the nines goes for the U.S. men's national team, is very thin. We spoke about no nine 
taking that uh, that opportunity and making it his own. Now, listen, no Jonathan David is probably his uh, the biggest performer in what is a striker position for, for Canada, but Cavallini's there, Lucas Cavallini's there, and he fancies his skill set, which is likened to Cavallini's, and he thinks he can wedge his way in there and be an impact player for Canada, so more power to him. When it comes to being a dual national love, you can feel for two countries. When all things are equal, it becomes sporting, and he feels his chances right now are better with Canada. Ayo Akinola is a very interesting prospect. The skill set that he has, not too many have. You can't be that strong. You can't be that opportunistic with go- in front of goal, that good with your back to goal, but you're still being molded into a player. I speak to players in that Toronto system, and they tell me about the raw skill set that he has and how he's still grooming himself, how much further he has to go. And that is scary when you think about how much better he can be. I'm not convinced it's that big a loss. Yeah, I get the desperation at the number nine. He had a great 2020. Other than that, it's kind of like spot goals here and there. I think he's got two Easy and nine Bruce so Arena far. with Rossi. So he's not, he's not pulling up trees uh, right now in Major League Soccer. The other thing worth noting, though, is we give Greg Berhalter a lot of credit for all the dual nationals he wins. Uh, how about Herdman? John Herdman, the manager for Canada, who actually used to manage the women's national team, he said they've been working on Akinola for 18 months. So this is a player that not only they ID'd, they put a lot of work into, and now he could help them in the Gold Cup. Don't be surprised if he gets another one. If he gets another Toronto player to switch, don't be surprised if there are more dual nationals going Canada's way. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! Shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Meanwhile, when it comes to the European Championships, we are down to the last eight. Well, Herc was booking to make the folks some money. Who's going to get the golden boot? Harry Kane, my friend. I don't know, man. England's got to go deep for him to win this. I don't know. Overall to win. Gotta go with Belgium. If it's my money, if it's your money, I need a flyer. Bro, I'm going Croatia. They're getting plus. They were in the World Cup final three years ago. This is a team totally capable of making a deep run in a tournament like this. At plus 4,000, yes, sir, I will definitely take that. All right, from 55 (laughs) teams that started qualifying, we made it to 24 for the beginning of the tournament, and now down to the last eight at Euro 2020. You just heard our pre-tournament picks there. Some of us still have our pre-tournament to picks alive and well. Others may need a little bit of editing. So why don't we give Herc, a, and maybe me if I wanted, a second chance at our picks. Okay, so favorite to win the golden boot. I'm not sure if you heard it there in the soundbite. I went with Lukaku pre-tournament. Herc, you went with Harry Kane, right. who only has one goal. You sticking with that or moving? Ah. I'm going to move it. I'm going to go Raheem Sterling, my friend. He's already got three goals. Listen, he goes from not scoring one single tournament goal to all of a sudden three at the Euros. And you said it yourself. If Harry Kane was going to be golden boot, England would have to go far. I think England can go far. They got Ukraine next. They're in a very favorable side of the bracket. Raheem Sterling is in a great moment. I... Grouch is, is playing off the charts, assists everywhere. I think Raheem Sterling can seriously bang in another couple of goals, and it's his. 
All right, he's got three. You're definitely disrespecting Denmark. You're definitely disrespecting Czech Republic no. on that same side of the bracket. Okay, unlike you, I'm offering the fans at home here some consistency. Yeah. I went with Lukaku pre-tournament, and I'm sticking with him here. He's 6-1 to one to end up as the golden boot at Euro 2020. He's already got three goals. For me, Herc, this all comes down to the game against Italy, which is just a massive, massive quarterfinal. My man has scored 64 goals in Syria yeah. and, and across all competitions for Inter Milan in the last two years. Yes. I think he's going to be okay against Italy's defense. I'm putting all my chips into the Lukaku boat for now, so I'm taking Lukaku as my, uh, as my top scorer. Hey, you're going out on a limb. Lukaku top scorer. Lukaku's one of the best nines in the world. He will wreck any defense out there, but... Am, am, am I forgetting who, who is it? Kevin De Bruyne and, and, and is it Hazard? Are they not playing? Are they are they in doubt for probably the the biggest game of their lives? Uh, well, yeah, okay. To that end, here's a look at the uh, updated favorites to win the European Championships. My pre-tournament pick, Belgium. Who was yours? Herka. I'm not seeing them. Oh, France. It was France. That's Everybody's right. You're pick the expert was France. here. Don't don't come at me like I had this crazy idea that France was going to win it, and it was. Come on. All right, well, I'm sticking with Belgium, Herc, and it's pretty easy. They've just, they've done the most so far. They beat Denmark in Denmark. They beat Russia in Russia. They knocked out the defending champions in the round of 16. And I'm not buying Italy. Not yet, anyway. I'm all in on Belgium. Italy, especially coming off that game against Austria, man. They just didn't do it for me. The group phase, very favorable to them. Who are you going with? Ah, I see we, we don't agree here. Italia! Venga Italia! Forza Italia! I'm going with the calcio, my friend. Uh, Italy, you, you spoke about the defensive efforts that one must do to keep Lukaku off the score sheet. Okay, 30 straight games that they've not lost. Their last game that they lost was in 2018 against France, this, okay, this Italia team. The last 20 games, 20 matches, they've only let in five goals. Seb. I'm going with Italy to shut out, I shouldn't say shut out, to beat Lukaku and Belgium. I just explained, no, Kevin De Bruyne, it's going to be a huge loss. Uh, also, uh, Hazard uh, in doubt, those two in doubt. That's going to be big for this Belgian team who's up there in age. This Italy team is very young. They're very dynamic. I could see them causing uh, Belgium lots of problems in transition. I will stay with Italia. Okay. All right, you mentioned Eden Hazard and Kevin De Bruyne. Not out. Doubts right now. Doubts. Uh, potentially, potentially out for the game against Italy. All right, we didn't pick this pre-tournament, but how about a favorite, not for Golden Boot, but for Golden Ball, for best player of the European Championships. Herc, who are you going with? Man, I'm so tempted. Espinazola, he's been so good for Italy. But listen, Raheem Sterling is scoring goals. It's a great story. The whole it's coming home. They can go far. If he's the golden boot, which I said he will be now, and they go far, as far as you say a final, even if they don't win it, it's got to be Raheem Sterling. So I think this is a no-brainer for me. I like it. I like it. You're doubling down. And it's true, right? If England wins the tournament, their top score is going to be most likely the golden ball of the tournament. You would find that very difficult to believe. I like Raheem Sterling here. I think he's a pretty good value, too, at 6-1. to one. But I'm sticking with my pick, doubling down, tripling down, all chips to the middle of the table on the Belgian national team and Romelu Lukaku. Look at my man, looks so good doing it. And I think he is going to be the player of the tournament when it's all said and done, Herc. The player of the tournament, tell me I'm wrong. Listen, it's a good shout because he's one of the best players in the world right now. All right, so the quarterfinals then getting underway 
on Friday. Action starts with Spain against Switzerland. That's your noon Eastern time kickoff. Then we got Belgium against Italy for a spot in the semifinals. Action underway Friday. Another doubleheader for you on Saturday. All right, speaking of the European Championships, Gareth Bale and Wales exiting in the round of 16. And now Bale has been linked with, of all teams, the Los Angeles Galaxy. Herky's going to turn 32 in July. He's still under contract at Real Madrid, but reportedly not in Carlo Ancelotti's plans. Yes, the LA Galaxy have three designated players. Okay, okay, okay. But assuming that they can sort that out and bring in a Gareth Bale. Good move or bad move for Let's the LA Galaxy? Let's assume that the DP player situation wasn't an issue. Let's go inter Miami on this. Let's assume <laughs> that the 600,000 pounds a week wasn't an issue that he makes for the LA Galaxy. Would this be a good move or a bad move for the Galaxy? Is that your question? Yep. Great move for the Galaxy. This is a player with a lot left in the tank, and he proved it last season. 16 goals across all competitions at a very high level, which throughout his career has had massive, massive sporting moments, massive moments on the field for club and country. What he did at Real Madrid, great moments he gave that fan base, taking uh, Wells to what was a semifinal appearance in, in last Euro tournament, to what he can still do today, what he showed us with Jose Mourinho as a head coach, he's got plenty left in the tank. That's a great move if you can make it happen for the LA Galaxy. But if you're Gareth Bell, is this the move you want at 32 years of age? You going to Major League Soccer, going to the Galaxy, is pretty much saying, I'm no longer going to play with Wells. Because that transatlantic flight, every call-up, is going to be a killer. Those 15-plus hours or 13-plus hours, whatever it may be, to get to every single game, whether it's exhibition or whether it's an actual World Cup qualifier, are going to be insane for you. What you're saying is, I'm done with the national team. What you're saying is, I went from Real Madrid to Spurs, and even though I proved to myself and the rest of the world that I still have something in the tank, I want to go elsewhere. I no longer mm. want to play at that level. I don't know if it's the best decision for Gareth Bell. I don't agree that it necessarily means he's done with the national team. We see players all the time who get preferential treatment. A guy like maybe Keiror Navas, who just chooses, picks and chooses he which games he plays with. He never goes to the with. games. It's not the same? He, just, he never goes. Keylor Navas hasn't been to a Gold Cup in how long? Keylor Navas goes to the must-win World Cup qualifiers, and even then, he's accepting the, that there might be a chance that he, well, there will be no chance he loses his club situation. Uh, but it's not the same. I don't think Keylor Navas being a goalkeeper is the same or equivalent to Gareth Bell and his situation of going back and forth with said national team. Look, I guarantee you Wales will make an exception for Gareth Bale if they need him either for a World Cup qualifier, European qualifier, whatever it may be. I like the point that you bring up about him still having a lot left in the tank because I think there were a lot of questions about that. And you would probably rightfully question what's his motivation going to be like in Major League Soccer because maybe we didn't see the most of it at Real Madrid, especially under Zidane, where there seemed to be kind of a break in communications and really a poor relationship. He wouldn't have that with the LA Galaxy. He would be beloved. It would be a great fit. And even if you saw how he played with Wales, he wasn't necessarily the guy waiting for the service he was creating. So if Correct. I start to think about him playing with the Galaxy and Chicharito, that duo to me could be super dangerous. Do you think if they sign Gareth Bale, the LA Galaxy then become your MLS Cup favorites, or is that not enough? No, no, no. Goals, scoring goals 
hasn't been the problem for the LA Galaxy in the last four years. They've scored plenty of goals, whether it's Slatan or Javier Hernandez, or having help or no help. Goals being scored aren't an issue for the Galaxy. It's keeping the ball out of their own net that's been the issue over the last four years. They need other things to worry about, not Gareth Bell and what he can do. And, and, and I know nobody cares, but if you sign a player like Gareth Bell, uh, right now what you're saying is we didn't plan right with our roster and mm. Cabral and Grand Sear and any other type of player that we invested in that we has playmaking abilities out of the wing, take a back seat because we're in a must-win situation right now. We want Gareth Bell right now, so forget about this investment. We're going here. And if you thought Gareth Bell was Wells Golf Madrid when he played for Real Madrid, just wait until you see what he's like with the LA Galaxy. Well, look, I think we're assuming a lot there. We should be careful about his motivation. Clearly a player with a lot of talent, and I would love, I would love to see it. Herc, I'm not going to lie to you. So the LA I. Galaxy have always, have always had this ability to make the signing that no one else in MLS can make. And this Correct. would be that. This Correct. would be that. Yeah, I would also tread with caution when you see this because Gareth Bell and his agent are looking for a club. Anytime you're looking for leverage, here comes Major League Soccer. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, so let's keep it on the West Coast, but we'll switch leagues and we'll go up the coast a little bit to the National Women's Soccer League, Portland Thorns, where Olivia Moultrie signs a three-year contract with the Thorns. She's now the youngest player ever to sign with an NWSL team at just 15. She had filed an antitrust lawsuit against the NWSL over the age restrictions that were keeping her out, but the league has finally relented. Herc, I guess good news here for all. I really don't see any losers in this, even if the league didn't exactly get what they had originally set out for. I can't believe the league would be against this. This is great for you on a PR standpoint, uh, from what is more attraction, more eyeballs uh, to to said league, from player development. It's a win-win. I, I, I don't understand why it took so long. I was going to say if Olivia was a man, but she's 15. So if she were a boy, we wouldn't be having this discussion. There would be no she's not ready discussion for this. If you're good enough to play, you're on the team. Yeah, I think there was um, an issue with the league wanting to make sure that the age restriction was bargained for as part of the collective bargaining process, which is actually ongoing right now. But Olivia's antitrust lawsuit obviously kind of pushed them forward. And I think this happens sooner as a result. Herc, I think it's great. I think it's just another sign of the growth of women's soccer, that we have a player who a club is willing to invest in at such a young age. She's been part of the Portland Thorns since she was 13. This is a player who was ID'd very early on as somebody who was not just a good player, but who had professional potential as a teenager. And we've not seen a ton of that in the women's game before, certainly not here in the United States. I think it's super exciting. The obvious comparison here, Herc, and I always hesitate to make comparisons between women's soccer and men's soccer, but just from an American soccer standpoint, 
has to be Freddie Adu, right? You look at the ages. She's 15. He was 14 when he signed with Major League Soccer and DC United. Obviously a player in a different world, a different time in American soccer. But to me, the comparisons here are obvious. It's a no-brainer when you talk about comparisons. She, I mean, she signed with Nike and Wasserman uh, Media Group at age 13, so you can even say she beat Freddie to that. Uh, and what happened to Freddie? Freddie's a cautionary tale um, in our world of what can go wrong if you're not careful in the player development and the personal development of these kids. So it's going to be important for Richard Moskins, for Spencer Wadsworth and the people at Wadsman Media Group to guide her the right way because they were also responsible for Freddie Adu and make sure that we're not talking about another cautionary tale, but this time on the women's side. Let's give Olivia and Wadsman and the Portland Thorns and the NWSL the benefit of the doubt here for what they're doing and what you can potentially do with a player who, quite frankly, is playing because she's good enough. Yeah, and you know what's interesting when you mentioned Freddie Adu? is that even today, if you're on like a youth soccer field and you ask a parent, hey, yeah. name me three American male soccer players, there's a very good chance that they will name Freddie Adu. That gives you an idea of just how big the expectations, the media coverage were around him. MLS games were drawing millions of viewers on TV. That, that's not happening today. Freddie Adu has had to be the face of DC United. He had to be the face of Major League Soccer. And he had to pretty much be the face of the U.S. men's national team as a teenager that's not going to be the case here for Moultrie. One, she's playing for the Portland Thorns who already have stars. Yes. And when you talk about the U.S. women's national team, we got, we got time. There are so many stars, Herc, in that galaxy that you don't worry about her getting rushed, I don't think, in the same way that we saw with Freddie. Different Freddy, times, right? right? And that's what it is. It, we were so in a hurry to put Freddie out there. To, he's going to be the American savior of what is U.S. soccer. We're going to put him in a commercial with Pelé. He's going to be representing Sierra Mist. He, you know, he's going to be dating... Uh, you know, pop stars uh, for, for Disney or whatever the case may be. It's Freddie Adu here, Freddie Adu there. You're getting Freddie Adu whiplash. And the one who's being hurt the most is Freddie Adu because at the end of the day, he was a 14-year-old kid who was thrust upon the limelight when he wasn't ready. All right, speaking of the U.S. women's national team, we have some video from earlier tonight, actually. Oh, no, we'll get to that in a second. First, let's show you Angel City FC's new logo, actually kind of their new crest, Herc. What do you think? Your home team. Listen, I've already put my money down. I've already put my money down. I will be a season, season ticket holder. Uh, a lot of cool things in the crest. You've got the Red Tail Hawk kind of thing going on there. You've got the Sunset, LA Sunset colors. You've got the 22 feathers, which represent the 22 players in the field, all that stuff. It's very cool. I like it. It's simple. It's sleek. I love the color scheme, and I can't wait to take my daughter to a game. The uh, crest explainer was done in English and in Spanish, so clearly they know the market that they're trying to tap into there in Los Angeles. You mentioned the wings on the design. Uh, they're modeled after a female hawk, and in the explanation they say it's because a female hawk, like many birds of prey, is stronger than the male hawk. So credit to the ladies there. The color as well that you mentioned, the Sol Rosa, we're seeing uh, a nod to the old school, the WPS team that used to be in LA, LA Sol. So a bit of history um, as well. This is the video I was going to mention to you before, Herc. This is from tonight in East Hartford. Uh, U.S. women about to play Mexico in one of their send-off games. These are workers from the stadium taking down an equal pay equals equal play banner. The video from the uh, American Outlaws group here in Hartford from their official Twitter account. Look, uh, I'm sure we'll get more on the backstory behind this, Herc, but in terms of 
wins and losses in the public relations oh, battle man. over equal pay. This would seem to be uh, another L for the U.S. Soccer Federation. Taking a beating here at the U.S. Soccer Federation. Like, it's just one after the other. Like, what are we doing here? What are you doing? It's just, it's a circus for U.S. soccer. And you said it, in the court of public opinion, they are losing. Yeah, the banner was, uh, according to the AO Hartford Twitter account, because they went on about this and kind of explained it, was not approved by the U.S. Soccer Federation because according to American Outlaws of Hartford, it was submitted too late. They also go on to say that all the other banners that were approved were submitted uh, at the same time. So again, more details on that as they become available. Of course, tonight, the first of two matches against Mexico. Next Monday, the second and final game of the so-called send-off series as the U.S. plays Mexico game on ESPN, streaming live on the ESPN app. That match to be played from East Hartford and we will be all over it in our post-game coverage on Football Americas next Monday. All right, one more thing, Herc, before we get out of here. Major League Soccer with an All-Stars Game Skills Challenge. We saw this a couple years ago. Who did we have in there? We had Rooney. We yep. had Nani. We had Carlos Vela. Now we're going to have Chicharito as well. Uh, does this do anything for you? You pumped for this or what? I mean, kind of. Bring back goalie wars. I want to see Noel Guzman versus, Nat, versus uh, Matt Turner. I want to see that going on. Bring that back. I want to see Carlos Vela versus, I don't know, Jonah Rodriguez. You know, bring all that stuff back. You know, I, I don't mind it one bit. When we talk about what is MLS, and especially in circles down south in Mexico, when they talk about MLS, they talk about marketing, how well they do things, how much of a, uh, a spectacle or, or a, I should say a fiesta it can be, MLS Cup, all that stuff. What... Liga Mekis doesn't do. So now you have a chance to participate. And I actually think some of these players, some of these fans are really going to like what they see and they're going to start adopting some of these things. Fair enough. The MLS All-Star Skills Challenge then set for August 24th. All right, let's run it back. Speaking of Major League Soccer, we're going to give you the top five goals of the season so far. Herc, we start with Efrain Alvarez, a game winner against the Vancouver Whitecaps for the Los Angeles Galaxy. Okay, production, let's see what you guys brought. Oh, that's a good goal. That's a good goal. You know what makes this a good goal? Watch the touch and then the set and finish. It's a quick half step when he touches it, same foot. Finishes off left foot, right into the top corner. It's a very good finish. All right, simple math here. Nani plus the Cincinnati defense uh -oh. equals four. Yeah, but takes him for a ride. I mean, Orlando's got Disney World. <laughs> I don't know if that rides in Disney. Right, look, one, spin him. Whoop, two, spin him again. Oh my goodness, who's number seven for Nashville? Because, oh, that hurts. Cincinnati, you can't even get the team oh, names it, right. Is just disrespect. I'm sorry. Nani all My over fault. the highlights this season. We saw his personal top five on the last episode of Football Americas. All right, number three, Jacob Glesnies what? of the Philadelphia Union. Can you hit a ball better, Herc? What? Why is this number three? What is the production doing? How is this number one, not number one? If there are two goals that are better than Jacob Glesnies in the 93rd minute, a 35, almost 40-yard bomb on turf. Campanita off the crossbar and in. Pick it out of your net, Brad Guzan. If there are better goals than this, I quit. I thought Brad Guzan was your boy. What happened? Why he are you taking shots? Number shot. two, Joao Paulo. Seattle against Minnesota United. Okay, this was a good goal. But it's not number two. It's a good piece of technique. But it's not number two. 
I love what El Brasileiro, Joe Paulo, for the Seattle Sounders, who by the way wrecked Minnesota in this one, just gave him the business. Good goal, but it's not better than Jacob Glesnes. This might make you so happy, right? A Seattle goal that comes against Minnesota and your boy Adrian Heath. It's just the perfect hurt like combination Adrian right Heath. there. Number one, Rubio Rubin of RSL. You've seen this before. The bike. Whoa, whoa. How is this number one? What? Okay, the producers of Cholo squinkle at hearts. There should be no reason this is number one. How is Quinn Sullivan? How is his bike not in the top five? What are, what's going on? Everybody scores goals against San Jose. Rubio Rubin <laughs> is really going to be number one? Quinn Sullivan, they did you dirty, my man. They did you dirty. You're scoring bikes at 17 years of age, and they put Rubio Rubin in this goal. It came off a throw-in. So, Rubio Rubin, our number one goal of the MLS season so Production's far. number one goal. Except Hercules Gomez doesn't agree with it. You can join the uh, Ale Moreno fan club because he also has problems with how our production picks their top goals here Ooh. on Football Americas. We will be back on Monday, July 5th, the last game for the U.S. women's national team in the United States before the Olympics. It's on right before us on ESPN after the match. Come join us for a little post-game action right here live on ESPN+. Work Plus. on your shirt Hercules game, Sam. Gomez, Come on. Sebi Salazar, Football Americas. We'll see you next time.